welcome back to the Parafed Huddle podcast. I hope you're well today. As you might be able to see, I am back in the office because we're in alert level two, which is really exciting. But do stay, stay safe during this time. So we've got heaps of information on our website, on our newsletter, and on all of our social media platforms. So, stay, so touch base with those so that you can keep yourself informed, especially as we bring back all of our programs, which is really exciting. But for today on the show, we've got um, Dan Buckingham coming to join us um, from his home. We were in level three when this was recorded. But um, listen in, he is an ex-wheel black, which is really exciting. And he is the acting CEO of Attitude at the moment. So if you want to know more about those guys, then you can listen in. But also, I talked to him a lot about his experience as a high-performing athlete and his experience at the Paralympics. So listen in, enjoy it, listen to it again if you really enjoyed it, and otherwise on with, with the show. Um, and can you describe what being within the NZ Paralympian team is like and what that athlete experience was like when you did go? Mm. Yeah, the Paralympics, I first saw uh, the Sydney Games was kind of like my first big uh, event that I saw and I watched that from my student flat in Dunedin about a year after breaking my neck and it was kind of like it was a real kickstarter for this is something that i can want to be part of and can be part of we're really um, sunk into it mm-hmm. at that stage i just touched on a bit of wheelchair rugby but seeing the guys compete there I was like yeah this is this is what i want to do this is what i want to be and that was real sort of start of the journey um and then four years later i managed to be there with the team in athens and it was it was uh yeah it, i don't know there's so many cliches to say but upshot it was just a magic time um, but for me the big thing when i think about athens i think about it's a moment in time that spans 18 months. Like that was when Grant Charman came on as a coach and he put the line in the sand, we're going to win gold in Athens. And it was like an 18 month journey. And it was just so exciting to be part of the team, bringing in the high performance aspects. So we had sports psych came on board, strength and condition, conditioning, uh, nutrition. Like it really was a switch from where we were coming out of uh, 2002 Sweden world champs where we didn't do well. Mm. Um, and just learned so much. And I think um, Grant was such a, a fantastic leader to have at that stage. His big strength is, is bringing a team together and creating the belief and getting the right people around him as well. And I think between him and Tim Johnson, who was a main uh, player at the time, he was a very good leader in the analytical sense, like team tactics. And between Grant and Tim, they really just created this vision and, and knew how to, I don't know if they knew it or they make it up along the way, but they made it happen. And, uh, as a player coming coming along for the ride at 23 years old at that stage was just a, a pleasure and a privilege to be part of it yeah when you initially um joined the like or joined or started playing wheelchair rugby um was it with the intention of like i want to be elite in this or did that kind of snowball and it just happened in that 18 months um the first big thing that drew drew me to it i went and watched the wheelbacks uh, train when i was still in the spinal unit and i'd sort of you know i've done this big course change in my life where I broke my neck and I wasn't sure what was next and just seeing the young guys just doing their thing like it was Curtis Palmer, Jerry Tinker, uh, those sort of guys just really cool guys that suddenly I was like you know looking up to and and they were just having the time of their lives they were playing an awesome sport they were fit they had really hot girlfriends they were great and I was like yeah they've, they've come through the other side of what I'm doing they seem to be all right uh, but also what I loved was they just they didn't hold back they took the piss out of me it was kind of like a leveler it was like you sort of have after breaking my neck, it was this weird phase of being in the spinal unit and you've got so many good people around you, but it's kind of this weird bubble and suddenly you're back on level with just a bunch of guys who are very similar to you. Yeah. Um, so that was great. I think that off-court stuff, the camaraderie was really big for me for a start. Mm-hmm. And then the more I got into the sport, the more I loved the actual sport. 
and and the high performance side, just making the most out of your, out of your body and the, the tactics and getting the mind going. Once you get into sports psychology as well, it was, it was brilliant. Just a year later, 2000, 2001. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it was a pretty quick uh, progression, which is a nice, big, easy story to tell, but also it was, uh, I was just in the right place at the right time. The team was coming off the back of Sydney where they just fell agonizingly short. They were looking to develop someone young. And uh, I got in there well before my time, I'd say, and uh, <laughs> the, the sort of um, in the knowledge that they could see that I'd come through with the experience pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And jumping into the sport and then suddenly going, like you said, you um, really enjoyed the high performance side of things. What is it about that that you found so valuable, so intriguing and um, really like benefited your performance? I mean, because a lot of people kind of look at just sport as the performance on the court or the field or what have you. Um, But actually all that behind the scenes work, what did Mm. you find so intriguing about that? Yeah, I think... um... I'll go about it in a different way. What I, when I really realized it was time to wrap up the career was when I didn't, didn't enjoy the behind the scenes work as much. Kicker for me, I, I was with the New Zealand team for 16 years. Yeah. And the balance in the end of trying to get to team trainings after a day of work on a Monday night was just killing me and taking the fun out of it. And also wanting those other things in my life, which I'm really focusing on now is, you know, relationship, family, work, all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's that's the sign like you've got to enjoy the grind sort of thing and i think i just really love the training and getting the most out of it and pushing uh, myself in each training sort of session um so that 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 for me is the high performance it's everything it's it's the lifestyle it's everything that you're doing is leading to the performance so it's kind of incorporated into your day it's it's your training but it's how how much and what you eat it's the calls you make on whether you go out or not um without being completely boring and still having a life but it's it's all sort of wrapped up into your life it comes with very much lifestyle yeah, um, and I just love the. I think I just love the feeling that comes with knowing that you're achieving, and and at the very granular level, the endorphins you get from a good workout, um, all that sort of stuff. I think um, I'm someone who thrives on setting goals and trying to get the most out of anything. And, uh, that was just living that lifestyle was a was a great way to live. Mm. And then when you do it well, um, and you come out the other side and you have a good performance, that is just an amazing feeling in itself. Um, and it is a classic whether you win or lose, but you're performing at your peak, it's just a magic feeling. And, and especially in a team environment, when you're on sync, in sync on song with, uh, with your teammates. Uh, and, I, and I really felt, I knew it when I was in it, that I was going to miss it um, because it's very hard to replicate those experiences. You go away and one of my last big ones, we're in the, the game to get us into Rio or not in France. We're in this like cauldron, like, uh, stadium with all these French people beating drums and big big crowd in that. And you know, I said to the, a few of the guys, it's like you don't get to experience this in regular life. It's you go back to regular life and it seems pretty boring. Like just lap it up, thrive on the pressure, love it, enjoy it. That's the best. Yeah. Um, sort of yeah. I think uh, I do miss the, the sporting lifestyle and all that, but you can't. I don't think I could do it the way I was and traveling the world and have what I have here. And I'm very happy to have done it, but also very stoked and very comfortable being where I am at the moment with life. Is there anything that you would kind of, um, I mean, give advice to to other athletes in terms of not preparing a plan B, but making sure that you have that kind of second life to walk into? Because I kind of have heard other athletes say that it's awesome being an athlete because you essentially have two careers. Um, Was there any sort of way that you prepared yourself to go from that professional sporting life into your next life almost? 
Yep, I think um, it's something that got instilled into me very early by the my ACE performance advisor, I think it was at that stage. I've changed names and acronyms, but basically the person with the Academy of Sport who said, you know, you've, what are you going to do after sport? And at that stage, I think my first session with him, I was like 21 and I was just like, I don't know, reflect, I'll be fine. And um, he's like, he said, the reality is you'll probably be done by the time you're 30 and you've got a whole lot of living left to be done. I think I wound up, I was 36, I had a few more years in there. But um, he very much in, yeah, instilled into me, you know, get some balance, get something else going on in your life and they'll feed off each other, you'll thrive off both. Um, so I did do that, I went back to study and I think um, had a really good balance just living that eternal lifestyle there for a while. Uh, the bonus of being in the team at that stage is we had a scholarship that so paid for university fees, um, stayed there. Um, probably a bit too long, I started getting the, the invites to adult student barbecues when I turned 25 and I was like, okay. <laughs> Time to wrap it up, time to get out of here. Um, and that's when I started looking for work and what was next, that was looking after after Beijing, what, what was I gonna do? Um, but managed to, I was looking at postgraduate work and becoming a journalist and stuff like that. And instead managed to land a, a job at Attitude, um, which was just part-time at that stage leading into Beijing. Um, so yeah, so short answer, always had that balance whether it was study or, or uh, just even with uh, New Zealand wheelchair rugby on the, on the board and did a year as president and other things going on. Um, but also maxed it out, I think, with sport. One thing I've really maxed out was the travel. Uh, spending, did uh, three seasons playing rugby in the States and that sort of stuff. That was the awesome balance I had in life. I didn't get to do the classic OE, but I got to do all this other stuff with sport. Um, yeah, the flip side is it was really hard at times trying to balance work and sport. And I don't think I performed well at either at times. Like it was, it was too much. Um, and really wanting to build a career, seeing my peers that I came through university with and school with doing really well and sort of thinking, okay, I'm getting left behind a bit here. Um, but still just loving sport and wanting to sink so much into that. And it was, it was a juggling act that I got very wrong at times. As I say, like really hard to do both well. Um, and ultimately, yeah, at the end I made the call that it was time to, I've done this and really loved it and I'm still loving it, but I need to shift to something else. Yeah. And like you said, that juggling act, it's, it is like the work life or sport life balance. Um, it is a juggling act. And I feel a lot of people need that almost mistakes to kind of figure out and be like, Oh, I know yeah. now that I need to head off this other direction. Um, yeah. but you mentioned before that you got your first job as you kind of um, left uni was with attitude and now you're still with attitude as well. And you've definitely climbed the ladder up there. Do you want to just dig into and talk to what you do there and what attitude is now as well? Mm. Yeah, I've been there for a long time and seen a lot of change within the organization, people, and also the way we produce stories and what we, how we go about our business as a, as a company. Uh, so I started as a researcher and presenter back in the days of uh, presenter when we had presenters on and it was terrible. I was this <laughs> monosyllabic Southlander with uh, dreads and uh, I was just such a cliche in what I thought TV was and what made good TV. Um, <laughs> it was terrible. Um, but sort of sunk into, really started to enjoy more behind the scenes and, and sunk into different roles there and mm. then switched to um, when we... I was doing more behind the scenes. I actually got quite burnt out there and left the company for a little bit at the end of 2012, had a few months off with um, a few things going on. I'd had um, an injury with my shoulder that I was struggling to get on top of. I'd had uh, DVTs in my leg coming back from a trip to Korea playing over there. Um, the team wasn't doing well and I really wanted to sink into sport and also my parents were selling their farm in, in, uh, down south so I wanted to spend some time there. 
Um, so I took some time off and that was a really good call. It was a really hard call to make. Um, I think I took four months off in the end. Uh, but also just we went to, we had a tournament in Germany and I stayed on and we did, and I just wanted to do some traveling by myself. It wasn't organized by work or sport. So just soloed it through uh, a few countries, which was awesome. Um, the upshot of that is uh, I came back and now uh, we're launching a digital platform. So kind of reinvigorated very much by launching into this other um, part of the media with Attitude Live was a, a website that we got off the ground in 2013 and being yeah. part of a, the incubation phase and the build of a digital platform was pretty cool. Um, seven years on, we're still trying to figure out how to move forward with it. Like it's been a lot of chopping and changing and, and re sort of uh, different iterations of it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so there's a digital and then I sort of started shifting back into management as well and became general manager and then uh, ultimately this year acting CEO. Mm -hmm. um, just acting part while of well the the boss, the big boss Robin's still there, um, but she's she's giving me the training wheels and letting me have a go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been a hell of a journey, and I think uh, feel similar to sport. Just feel very privileged to be part of that world. The media is an exciting world to be part of, especially with so much going on and so much change. Mm -hmm. um, but with this company that, and amongst all the the bad things that come with TV as well, it's a pretty cutthroat sort of industry, and and people end up doing selling their souls and creating content they don't really believe in uh, to be able to focus on a on content and tell stories that might not otherwise get told as a, as a line I often drop without us you know with um, the stories we get to tell with NZ on air funding we have and not being commercially driven it's uh, yeah. it's very it makes it easy to go to work like really enjoy it and uh, on top of that we've got an awesome team who just love what they're doing they're passionate uh, TV makers as well as passionate about disability Mm -hmm. And you kind of, um, one of the highlighted words that keep coming through is the stories, the stories, the stories, which I think is amazing. And we seem to be seeing a bigger representation of people with different abilities on in media nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, like obviously the Attitude series and then Unbreakable series that was out last lockdown and then the movie that came out on Wednesday. Have you seen Rising Phoenix yet? I haven't, I've seen the trailer, but uh, with a seven month old, the, the opportunities to sort of watch content is severely diminished. <laughs> yeah, not, not as much TV time as you would have hoped. Yeah. Well, if you get a chance to, I watched it last night and it's amazing. Sure. Um, but do you think that the ideas and the culture about people with different abilities is experiencing change because of these organizations like Attitude are making a push at changing that idea? Yeah, I think there's, um, there's value in just having more content. Um, and then, but then on top of that, it's how do you, how do you tell those stories? How do the stories come across? So the quick history, I guess, is disabilities. It's been underrepresented. It still is underrepresented. And with any representation of a, of a subject matter that's underrepresented, you tend towards, often tend towards extremes. So with disability, it's, it's always tended towards one or the other. You're either seeing stories about people who are the super crips, the phenomenal, you know, they're, the, the policeman and the family guy who's like a, in a wheelchair, but he's jumping over fences in his, in his wheelchair. Mm -hmm. uh, they're winning, a, everyone's winning a gold medal at the Paralympics. The, or the, what's the, the disability is a bad attitude, that sort of level. Yeah. Um, the only disability is a bad attitude. Um, and then at the other level, it's kind of the medicalized model. It's the, it's the pity party. It's, it's uh, the invalid, the invalids, all that sort of stuff. So you kind of got, um, these extremes and the high end and the and the low end where when your story has Coldplay as a backdrop, it's terrible. 
and then what we try to do is fill the middle where we just tell stories of ordinary people for the most part but they're intriguing and they're fascinating because they live with disability and how they live is interesting mm. so it's kind of filling that middle gap and that's what we try to do um and and between us and all these other entities that are trying to create content that's it just continues to fill that gap in the middle and hopefully people end up uh, with a broader spectrum of knowledge so um and I think that's what we hold true with um, or try to hold close with attitude is you tell a story about someone who has a specific condition and then someone, you know, randomly in Invercargill or Palmerston North gets to catch it on a Sunday morning. It might be five, 10 minutes, but they have a reference point for if and when they meet someone in the community, if they have a workmate, if they have a, a father of uh, one of the kids in their footy team has a disability, they've suddenly got a reference point and it broadens their knowledge. So that's kind of the, I guess a bit of an oversimplified way of what we try to do is just but trying to broaden the, the content around disability. Yeah. And you said before that you found it really easy going to work, obviously, because you were able to pursue what you wanted to pursue. Is it something like, do, do, is your own personal pursuits really aligned with what Attitude's doing? Or do you have kind of your own, um, not motive, but aim in the work that you do? Um, yeah, when I was uh, when I was still in the spinal unit, um, had a really fantastic doctor called Dr. Rick Hackland, mm. and um, one of the basically I was there for three and a half months, and by the end it was kind of this flip sort of switch near the end, and I was like, I'm ready to leave. I'm time it's time to get out of here, and I basically put it to him that I was ready to go. I was feeling good, and he just said, Yep, you are, and uh, and then he said, and I think you'll raise the flag really high for disability. Uh, I didn't know what that meant. Um, but it's sort of something that I held on to and I've tried to do insofar as not in like a really wanky way, but um, I think I try to live a life that's full in a way that shows other people that you can carve a path. Um, and that means, you know, for me, it's just, I guess, doing what I want to do, which is being travel and then sport and then yeah. I'm own home and, and have a family and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then to double down on that and work for an organization, which is telling really good stories about disability and, and getting, getting to hold the Attitude Awards and all that sort of stuff, it kind of just reinforces that sort of um, thing, that little moment in time that sort of stuck with me as well, is trying to do well for others that are going to come after me. Um, I think I had some really good role models and people to look up to. Um, and if I can just sort of pass the torch a little bit, it's, it's pretty good and feel pretty good. Yeah, not- yeah Athens was, it was a phenomenal, it was a dream. It was like the, the best outcome you could ever imagine with the gold. Um, of course, four years later, we hit the, the lows of high-performance sport, the highs and lows, where we went in there very much favoured to get a medal, if not gold. We yeah. ended up fifth, which was gutting. You know, that was crying in the changing room afterwards, sort of gutting. It was devastating. Yeah. Um, and that's where the balance comes in. That was where it was good to have other things going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about the athletes now with COVID and suddenly they can't travel and they can't perform. What else do they have going on in their lives? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we didn't qualify for London, which was just, it was it felt ridiculous. It felt like we'd gone from this one extreme to the other of not even being at the Paralympics. Mm. Uh, but got to be there with media, which was amazing in itself and seeing it from the other side. And that was where I got to see the broad spectrum of what the games are and how massive and, and amazing it is. And, um, and, and kind of like the external look of how it affects so many people worldwide. Whereas with wheelchair rugby, it's very insular. It's what's happening in the wheelchair rugby community, who are the team we're playing up against and what's happening in our team. is very much just as close to the world. Yeah. Um, going to London, it was a massive big take on uh, the games and the Paralympic movement itself, um, the change it makes. And especially those games, they made a massive change to yes. how disability was perceived. Um, 
and then got to carry on that with uh, Sochi uh, and then Rio. So being able to be behind the scenes has been amazing as well. It's just a whole nother, you got the athlete village and then you've got the media village and it's this whole nother world that goes on that people don't get to see. Mm, yeah, I didn't even realize there was a media village. Yeah, it's huge. It's uh, all the things that come with being an athlete. You get the, 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 all the entities from you can get your hair cut to your eyes checked to go to the shops and get the mascots and all that sort of stuff. That's all there for the media as well. Um, yeah. so there's a whole other village. Um, uh, media accommodation is usually off-site. There's a whole media transport hub and loop. And yeah. then you have the International Broadcast Centre, which is this huge big building that he runs. Outputs out of. Um, so we were in there in Rio with our little team. I think we had 12 on the ground in the end, um, next to Channel 4 that had 400 people. So uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool place to be. But I guess as well, like you guys have to perform the best you ever have as well, just like the athletes do, you know, in those yeah. that couple of weeks um, of coverage. Yeah, the Rio Games was an amazing experience as a broadcaster. We had 12 people producing a lot of content. Um, doing it on a very small budget as well. And I think that was part of the success as we went in, not just trying to do wall-to-wall coverage. We had this coverage of this content on Duke, if you want to go deep, highlights packages every day on TV1, if you want to go a bit, you know, get the sort of backstories and know a bit more. And then we had um, an embedded journalist as well, just feeding through a lot of news. So it was kind of by default of not having many people and not much budget, we ended up with really good, um, really good delivery. Mm. Um, but the days are huge. It's, you know, 12 hour days every day. You get in there and you, you have a plan for what the day's going to be and you've mapped it up on the whiteboard. And then uh, Aaron Grimaldi comes in and gets a gold and it's like you rub off the whiteboard and you go, okay, we're leading with that. Um, and uh, you reset the whole program that you've been working on for months. So yeah. exciting, yeah, cool. Very, very fulfilling thing to be part of. Are you looking to get over to Tokyo 2020 if, we, if we're able to? Yeah, yeah. It's been, a, it's been a bit of a slog to get the funding. It's been a bit, bit of a different world than uh, Rio. Um, had a really good... Uh, mixed there with Rio, with ACC and NZ on Air and TVNZ and us. Yeah. Um, this time around with uh, TVNZ and, and Attitude still leading the broadcast and then we've got NZ on Air and Ministry of Culture and Heritage coming to the party. So, um, oh wow. Uh, yeah, so we've got, we've got the funding, it's just putting into, into plan what we're going to do with it and how we can maximise it. So there's still a few things to work out. Um, we had a plan and it's being reset at the moment as well as a contingency plan. What do, what do we do? If it just doesn't happen and, and all, all that sort of stuff. So there's some stuff coming. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds big. That's cool. Yeah. Really cool. Um, and then oh, I just remembered as well. What was the New York Marathon like? I just <laughs> I just clicked as well. It was. Uh, I mean, the whole trip was amazing, and the marathon just felt like this little part of it. It was uh, a six-day trip with a big New Zealand team, uh, just a team of like kind of weekend warriors that signed up to go and raise money for the Catwell Trust. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I signed on because I'd finished rugby at the end of 2016 and wanted something to sort of fill the gap and make sure I didn't just blow out and eat a lot of pies sort of thing. <laughs> um, so trying to work out this new sport with not many people around and, and Chris Hanley was awesome with that. He gave me a set of rollers. They were in the back of his garage straight out of the 80s. Managed to get them set up. Yeah. And I uh, managed to try a bunch of chairs until I found one that fit. And um, then spent a lot of time just grinding it out on the road and, and got over there and had a blast. It was amazing. It was, it was phenomenal. Uh, very different. Doesn't come with the camaraderie and, and all the, I guess, the, the tactical side that I love with wheelchair rugby. But it's mm-hmm. sort of this, um, you, you still, you know, you get in the zone and it's very much about pushing yourself to the limit. So it comes with a whole another set of challenges. 
Yeah. They loved it, magic, and to be able to do it in New York was, was awesome. I was say, what a setting. <laughs> um, and then carried on with a couple more back here at home. Um, and vague plans to do more. It's just how to fit in the training now is a big, it's a big uh, yeah. question mark. Did you find that the kind of psychological training that you built up during wheelchair rugby was really applicable to your marathon marathon training? I think, um, yep, psychologically, and also just knowing the work ethic that I'd have to put in to, to try and reinvent myself for a different sport. Mm. Um, but also the, the recovery and the nutrition side was big. Um, and the planning, I think that's a big thing with um, spending so long playing sport as well as you just plan, you kind of go in with what is, what does it look like where I'm at the starting line and I'm feeling relaxed and ready to go. And you build that out for, you know, you can do it for the day and what do you have to do to prep for the day, but also you build it out three months in advance and okay, what do I need to do to be there? You know, so all those sort of like things that um, for me, it just become very ingrained in what I do. Um, but about the same time, my partner was doing the root burn classic and, um, just being able to talk to her about it. It's like, okay, so what do you need to do? This is, you want to be at the start line, relaxed. What, put yourself in that place. What did you do to get to this point? You start to work backwards and make a training plan right down to what do you do on the, the morning you wake up and how do you run through that? Wow. So yeah, well, uh, all the skills from one sport definitely transition to another. Yeah, and that's kind of sometimes the skills that you don't know you need until you need them, I guess. Mm. Yeah, the, and there's a lot of uh, sort of latent, skills come through from being an athlete that are very transferable to so many other parts of life. Um, definitely to work. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, from, yeah, everything sort of translates. And I think it's, um, again, just coming back to the word, just feel really privileged to have the, the career I did as an athlete and to learn so much and, and be around so many good people. Yeah. And so if you were gonna, if you had the opportunity to go talk to a previous self of yours, um, I'll let you decide how many years back you go. Um, but what kind of advice would you give yourself if you're going to talk to? Yeah, one? that's hard. I think um, on the whole of sort of the big chunks I've done have been awesome. And I think it's, it's been really good, but definitely a lot of mistakes along the way and a lot of, you know, a few regrets here and there definitely could have done things a lot better at times. I think if I think back to, you know, there's specific games and moments in games which I changed. Oh. Um, <laughs> but on the whole, um, I think also just phases there where it's like, yeah, I didn't maximize that. Like could have done better, could have done that better. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know, there's, there's no sort of one liner catchy sort of things that I do different or tell a younger former self. But I think, um, and it's, it's the classic, there's so much I've built and learned over the years that I had to go through probably to get to where I am now that I'd love to go back and be 21 with all the knowledge I have um, yeah. now. Yeah. oh that's awesome all right well we'll close it up there um because as i said it'd be real easy just to drag on and just keep chit-chatting um but really appreciate the time you took to come and talk with me and then the rest of our community as well um i will pop in i'm tempted to find a video of you with dreadlocks and, <laughs> and chug that down um but i'll also pop um, details with attitude and details about yourself as well so that anyone listening or watching can get to see more if they want to um, but I was always thank you any last words you want to close with or no just thank you I think um, even what you're doing it comes back to what we were talking about earlier it's just more content more voices on screen yeah. um, a big takeout actually I took out of uh, a conference I went to last year called the power of inclusion which is the main focus is on our gender but also a bit of ethnicity and disability vaguely crept in there 
But mm. uh, if you can see it, you can be it. That was a really big message. And uh, having at that stage your daughter on the way, I really took that on board. And uh, the keynote speaker talked about things like uh, a huge uptick in, up, uptick in uh, people, women taking on uh, archery after the Hunger Games. Uh, these sort of little moments that you don't really think about the flow and effect. But uh, I think just by telling good stories and, and being visible and, and all that sort of stuff, it does lead to people just seeing and thinking, yeah, I can do that. I can do something that's something I can be part of. So, so thank yeah. you. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, thank you. And we'll close it there. Everyone that's listening and watching, we will see you next week. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks a lot. Yeah.